1: I'm really excited about today's podcast, which we talk about space, time, and talent from micro things like how it works within each position to how it builds into a bigger culture. On today's podcast, we have uh, one of our favorite guests. He comes in from time to time to talk us to us about all the new things he's working on and uh, it goes from being a head coach the past couple of seasons back to being an offensive coordinator at a new place, and he's been thinking about install a lot. We're going to talk maybe about some of the trends that he's seen and, and some of the film that he's watched, and uh, a guy who's always looking to get better, and um, we're certainly excited to get some in- insight from him today on this, and that's uh, now the offensive coordinator at Union High School in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Dub Maddox. Dub, always great to talk ball with you.
0: Oh,
1: thanks for having me on, Keith. Excited to be here. So, Dub, since we last talked, an, another new challenge, a new opportunity as the offensive coordinator at Union. And give us an overview now of, I guess, some of the things you've been thinking about here, especially as we've pressed pause.
0: Yeah, so, you know, the, the time that we've had available to – uh, kind of let this this whole new scenario and the world we live in play out, really had uh, a lot of extra time that we're not used to as coaches to uh, learn some, some trends that are out there, uh, have more time to dive into film to kind of see uh, what other teams are doing, what defenses are doing. Um, so it's been really beneficial to kind of unpack some of that. And I think the, the challenge is, is knowing when to turn that, that spigot off uh, because I think a lot of coaches probably like myself are feeling that information overload. I think one of the things that I've had to make sure I do is, is, you know, and I think having an organizational, you know, template helps you with this is is knowing where things fit as you're looking at film and you're, you're listening to all these great clinics and listening to these podcasts out there is when coaches are sharing all these ideas and these, you know, kind of uh, these new advancements of the game As a coach. You got to know the relationships and know where things fit. So you think a bunch of tools on the table you know, you got to know. Okay, well, this is just another type of, of of screwdriver, and it goes there. You know, this is a this is another type of hammer for you know for a specific type of wood. You know, that's going to go there. I think when you when you have an organizational tree and, and a kind of a family structure that we have uh, that we've created um, with the R4 system, it, it allows you to organize uh, these ideas better and and know how to make sense of all these new things. And, and from that, you can now you know pull what you need out or. Uh, maybe find a better tool and, and know where it goes. So I think that's something that I've really had to be disciplined with, with all this information overload, is knowing how to organize it and, and know where to place it.
1: Yeah, the the structure is so important, right? The the context of this game. I mean, you can go out and you know learn an incredible play that they do at a certain school and you can't forget that that play is not used in isolation, that there are other tools built around it, whether that's the tempo that a team uses, the personnel groupings, um, certain formations, other concepts that complement and have answers to things that might occur. You know, So you can never just study something in isolation. You Even when you're bringing it back in, you have to consider, how does this fit for us? Because it actually may fit a little bit different than, it did fit for that team you learned it from, right? So the the context I think is so important. And I do really believe, you know, with what you've done with the R4 system, you know, for you, which is, you know, started with a, a just a, a way to read a passing progression now to the full-blown, this is how we think about the game. Um, but you have that structure now that allows you to uh, adapt, allows you to evolve, allows you even, you know, in a situation you're in right now to see, you know, what have these guys done before maybe? And and what can we do to build upon that with the R4 and, you know, not necessarily turning everybody back into a freshman because it's all brand new.
0: Yeah. I think the things that you got to remember as a coach is, is everything that you do schematically has to work within the limits of space, time and talent. That's the three um, constraints within the game of football. So, when, when you're deciding on plays to implement in your offense, you've you got to make sure, you know, to understand, okay, the space that it's designed to attack. And what you, when you unpack that, you'll find out, well, you know, here's three different concepts, but they essentially, they attack the same space. So do I really need all three? And the next thing you have to understand is, is do you, do you, can you work within those time limits? You know, there's, for example, you know, maybe you watch some OU football and in and, and, so Oklahoma, and they run a lot of GT counter and let's put in the counter play well you know the counter requires your offensive lineman to you know do blocks with pulls and swabs that require to sit that you have to fit in a certain amount of time if you don't have linemen that can pull and can execute those blocks in a certain time frame then you're not going to be able to run that you know do mm-hmm. you have guys on the front side that can handle and sustain those you know those double teams or that base block to allow your pullers to get around. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that you got to make sure you understand with space and time, and then you have the talent to execute that. Um, I think that's one of the things I didn't really understand well as a younger coach is, is as I'm looking at these, you know, college or NFL teams run these plays, and I try to go back and recreate that within my own offenses. You know, do I have the players that can create um, that space within those time constraints? Do they have the talent? So, one of the things that we, we've done recently in this, going into a new school, at union high school – uh, before we were, we were uh, you know, permitted not to come back um, for this break, is we, we got our players out there and we, we did a vertical value test with our receivers. And, and what we're trying to do there is I want to gauge you know, what is the vertical space that they can place on a defense or a defender within 1.8 seconds of time, that rhythm timeline. So we got a drone out. We actually filmed our receivers um, with their stance and start to see how much vertical space um, they can actually cover in 1.8 seconds. And what you'll find is is that um, you'll find quickly what the vertical value of your players are. So we actually have a metric, and we, we have our players charted. And so, for example, we have some elite players that can gain 10 to 11 yards of vertical space in 1.8 seconds. Well, if you think about a safety, you know, that might be placed over that receiver, um, that's a lot more stress it places on him. So um, that that allows us as a coach to know, okay, these these types of routes we need to run with this guy, or if this guy has a lower vertical value, maybe he can only gain, you know, eight to seven yards of vertical space in 1.8 seconds. You know, he's not our, our seam guy. You know, he's more of a possession guy, and we know where to fit guys better. And we also know what kind of concepts we're able to run. Uh, you know, I, I love air raid concepts. I love the intermediate passing game. But there's been years, uh, particularly when I was a head coach at a 2 A school, we didn't have guys the hide of vertical value to create the stretches necessary to run those plays. And so, you know, I had to learn the hard way to learn how to adjust and adapt to my deficiencies of that vertical speed. So I think doing those tests and, and we've created basically some testing protocols within all positions um, that allow us to identify our personnel accelerated grades is what we call them of our offensive players. We were able to self scan ourselves earlier to then know what plays we can run uh, for an upcoming season. So we don't have to wait till week two or three of a season to know, hey, you know what? This concept's not going to work this year. We can find out earlier and, uh, and and get better at doing those things. And I think that's something that's really helped me as a coach. Uh,
1: I love it, Dub. Uh, you know, always forward thinking. So, as I get it, uh, testing protocols for these guys. So at some point in the spring or in the off season, you're figuring out where each guy at is within here and putting all this stuff together and. And figuring out where they might fit well within a certain progression how routes will come together um, I'm assuming all of this is is done on air
0: yeah so it's it's done on air it's just our baseline test uh, we, we have protocols built out for receivers um, and for linemen, for quarterbacks for tight ends and uh and, and this is something been working on the last two or three years and and having this downtime that allow me to build out basically their we're just forensic profiles uh, of players. We can, we have a sheet and we have, we can measure, we can, you know, we can take these um, skills and measure them. And then from those measurements, we can now kind of determine the concepts we can run and where to place these, these players. And, you know, we, we've gone pretty deep in that. and That's something we're trying to refine um, with the downtime. And then hopefully we can get that out to coaches in a more detailed way. Um, once we get this finalized.
1: Yeah. I love it. So, um, the the question I guess I have as a follow-up here, um, you know, and man, I'm trying to think what the year was. It is some time back, somewhere around 2009, 2010, I came out to Jenks and we spent a couple days together and, you know, you showed me what you were doing with receivers and releases and all those things. So um, there's a lot of different approaches to, you know, a guy winning his space, winning his route. Um, some things that, you know are going to slow him down in attacking that vertical space which for your rhythm routes are are very important right and i see all kinds of great stuff out there I, one guy who's been on the podcast a number of times has all kinds of great content on different types of receiver releases and how to win uh routes and those things but i would say again those those things can't be used in in isolation i think you have to understand how does it affect the timing of the route so with that as you start to place uh, defenders into the mix here and a receiver has to do something to win his his space win his route space right um how does that factor into
0: yeah so th- that's really the next phase when you're when you're talking about releases there's there's a, two weapons that a the back's going to use um, to basically try to delay and disrupt the decision making of the quarterback and it's either cushion or collision so a defensive back is either going to attempt to use some form of collision to delay and disrupt the stem of a receiver, or he's going to maintain a certain level of cushion over that receiver to delay the quarterback's decision-making to know whether that route is in fact capped or uncapped. So that's really all coverage is it's, it's either cushion or collision and then ultimately capping route side space. So what we have to do as receivers and as coaches is to understand, okay, what's, what are my tools in the toolbox that are going to allow me to avoid this collision that this defender is trying to inhibit on me. And so we have five um, release families of of releases that we install with our players. And these were covered in the adapter dive book. And we use those release families to basically define and inform our receivers on the best strategy to use to avoid that collision technique. And so um, we'll get defenders out there and we'll place them in different leverage positions. And each release is designed to attack a specific leverage uh, position and, and once they understand and can connect on the release to use and the, the why it needs to be used, the acceleration of that decision making and to be able to overcome that collision goes up exponentially.
1: Coach, can you give us an example? And, you know, let's let's just talk about, as an example, the inside receiver and some um, releases and, and obviously what he's going to do with the uh, different types of leverage, hand contact, all those things you teach.
0: Yeah, so basically, we're going to, if if I understand the question right, we're going to, uh, you know, we'll put it like for an inside receiver. If you're a slot guy, you know, you're going to live in that collision world. Um, outside receivers, you know, they're more of trying to defeat cushion. So, you know, what we're looking for is if you're going to play a slot, you have to be uh, really good at being able to, you know, gauge the leverage position of that linebacker. Is he inside or outside or head up? and then what type of collision technique he's trying to employ. So, you know, one of the basic, you know, leverage positions, the inside uh, could be a linebacker on an apex line, or it could be, you know, slightly inside shoulder and trying to wall heavily. Maybe it's a cover two, or he's trying to, you know, collision and buzz the flat. Um, There's the the first day one release that we'll do, and that is what we call a seam release. And that's a three-step outside move. And we limit it to three steps because if he goes beyond three steps on that outside release – Uh, and collision has occurred he's going to get pushed outside his route space and he's essentially dead so on that third step he has to own the outside space by his third step so the angle of his release is predicated on the uh, position the leverage position and how aggressive he is after the snap it coming out towards us so if he's more of a head up to outside leverage and we use the seam release we got to be really aggressive with that angle off the line of scrimmage to try to win that outside space by the third step. If we haven't won it by the third step and he's still outside, then we have to take the inside space that's given to us and get vertical immediately and try to win the route space back at the top. So that's probably the first release that we'll really work on with those inside guys is that seam release strategy. And what we're looking for is to make sure that the receivers understand the angle of attack and and then also can they stick on the third step and immediately get vertical and then, at that point, you have to bring in the hand releases with it. So the receivers have to understand that releases is really two parts. It's the lower body with the feet, and then that's that the feet are used to gain the appropriate angle to uncap space. and then also the hand releases is, is the second part. And so we have different types of hand strikes that we do um, that we incorporate there as well. If they have to be really good with the hands we we have uh, some hook moves, we have a rip move that we uh, teach as a, as a base you know a base uh, you know you have one hand strikes and two hand strikes you know one hand strikes are usually used when defenders are off and out of your personal space and if the defender's in your personal space and you're going to have to use more of a two-hand strike move and so we teach uh, a family of those there's five moves that we have uh, for those as well and and we just try to arm them with different strategies to use to, to relocate those hands and keep them off uh, contacts inevitable for receiver, you know, you, you contacts going to happen. And so we have to make sure we, we define the difference between collision and contact collision means that the defender was able to delay and disrupt and slow the receiver down. Contact means the receiver is able to maintain his speed to that, that contact point. So that's really you know something you got to make sure you define well with your players and your quarterback, because he's reading that to determine if he's going to stay on the route or come off and go to the next route in the progression. So it's an accelerator for the quarterback. So we teach our quarterbacks to use what the defense is trying to to use against us to take us out. Use that as a mental decision accelerator to get to the next best route in the progression. And that's something that's very important that you establish those visual cues for the quarterback with that verbal language so he can now be armed with what matters most on the drop because we only have 1.8 seconds to make that decision. So, you know, seeing collision or feeling collision – allows me to accelerate my decision making to get to another route a better route faster and if there is no collision then i can stay on that route longer so that's some important things to remember as you're measuring those those different releases
1: well dub looking at at the guys up front the linemen right and you got that initial those initial metrics on those guys and how they're able to move um again now you start to put bodies in things become different um, I guess, how are you adjusting or measuring this as these guys, you know, get more into having defenders over them?
0: Yeah, sure. So basically, if you think about run run plays, um, different types of run plays require different timing uh, for the blocks to develop for the hole to be created at a certain point in, point in time. So what we found is, is you know, rit- rhythm routes are routes that break open for receivers in 1.8 seconds. Well, there's rhythm blocks for linemen. And so the rhythm blocks for a lineman are those first level blocks um, that occur and have to be sustained at a minimum of 1.8 seconds. That's what we found. So the the kind of interesting thing is that the same timeline that you have for the intermediate passing game is required for the run game. And so those first level blocks for the lineman, for example, if I'm just a a right tackle and I have to execute just a base block, you know, just a simple base block. on, On It could be any scheme. It could be power. It could be inside zone if I've got a one-on-one base block on a specific side, I'm not involved in a double team, I have to sustain that block at or beyond the line of scrimmage for a minimum of 1.8 seconds. Cause that's how long it takes the running back to get the ball and to enter in to that line of scrimmage. And so those are rhythm blocks. So a base block an out block, a single side down block, those are rhythm types of blocks. And so what we need to make sure we understand is that when we um, get into the pads in the spring, can our lineman sustain a base block uh, on a certain level of defender for a minimum of 1.8 seconds? If he cannot, he's probably not going to be a good starter for us, or we're going to have to use him strictly in double teams. So that's that's the first thing to think about when you think about putting a a uh, time constraint family structure in your run, into your uh, run blocks. The, the second type of run block are read blocks. Read blocks are your second level blocks that require anywhere from 2.2 to 2.6 seconds to develop. So these are your pulls by your left guard on power. Um, they could be your double-team blocks to a second-level linebacker. Um, they, you know, they could be uh, in any of those kinds of second-level blocks where you have pullers or you're working to second level. So inside zone, uh, second-level blocks have to develop, have usually mature around 2.2 seconds to 2.6 uh, pulls by guards are around 2.2 to 2.4 and pulls by tackles are around 2.6 seconds so what we try to do is we try to see first can linemen like if we want to p- run some pull schemes or maybe want to run some gap schemes this year and, and be some guard tackle counter um, some one back power two back power do we have guards and tackles that can skip pull or kick pull however you want to teach it and get around into a a b or c or d gap in two point two or 2.6 seconds if they can't then we're not going to be able to execute that scheme in a real world environment so i think that's something that we've we tinkered around with that we found was very beneficial um, to determine if we need to be more of an inside zone team versus a gap team, or can we do both um, so that's the reed family of run blocks the rush family of run blocks are insert blocks or kickout blocks by like a fullback, a yo tight end. Like if we're working some ISO, we're working some whams. We're working just a seal across the line of scrimmage on split zone. Um, we're working a trap. Um, those are first level blocks um, that are going to be at the line of scrimmage that are horizontal in in um, in position. They're horizontal type blocks like kickouts. Um, those are rush blocks. Those can occur at any point in the timeline. It just depends on. Um, if they're working across the line of scrimmage or they're on the same side. And so those have to be sustained anywhere from you know, 1.8 to all the way to 2.6, depending where they terminate and where they originate. So those are what we call rush t- types of blocks. So when we look at fullbacks, when we look at those yo tight ends that are sealing across the split zone. You know, can they work across and can they sustain that horizontal block for a minimum of 1.8 to 2.6 seconds? And that's what we're looking for there. And then the release types of blocks are all your your screens. You're releasing linemen downfield. So can we can we get linemen out into space? And in the release portion, from a passing perspective, is our scramble routes or the quarterback releasing in the pocket and extending the timeline? This is what screen passes do for linemen. So th- so that's what we gauge: is. do we have linemen that can get out? Can they work in space? How long does it take him to get out and to be the flat player on the on the sidewalk block, block the, the alley guy? You know, can they break down? Can they get into control? So that's some things that we're measuring and testing in the release family of blocks. So basically what we've done is we've taken that roadmap of route family structure with R4 in the passing game and how those routes fit within a timeline and how they fit into progression. And we brought all of those um, same types of of timing mechanisms in space um, where they attack in space to the offensive line in the run block families. And we use those different types of rock blocks and rhythm blocks to read the rush release, to create run runs concepts. And so that helps us better determine what concepts can we do based on how well those linemen can sustain those blocks and can they move to get into those places at a certain amount of time.
1: You got me thinking of so many things now, Dub. I'm going to, I'm, my, my gears are, are turning with that one. Um applying that to the run game. I think that's, that's amazing. Now, when when you're looking at the backs, right? Because we talked about space, time, and talent. Now you're looking at the backs, and how uh, they're able to, um, you know, get to those mesh points or or aim points, I should say. Aim point would probably be the right word. Get to that aim point and make their read and cut. Their ability to do those things. How have they fit into this whole calibration of? You know the R four system.
0: Yeah, it's it's the it, you know it's the same it's the same thing that you have with um, the quarterbacks. I mean, when the run game that the running backs have the ball, so they're the decision maker, like the quarterback is in the passing game. So they have to understand you know the concepts that we're running the run game concepts. You know how long they have to make their decision if that makes sense. So like for example, if you're just taking an inside zone concept, um, you know learning how to tempo that run and and making sure, like you think, I think a Le'Veon Bell is just a master in understanding how to sync his footwork with the run scheme and not hit that hole too fast, but not, you know, wait too long. And so I think um, we're, we're still on the fringe of mapping it out for all of our concepts. But some of the things that we found is that, that the baseline uh, entry point into the line of scrimmage for a run on just a standard run play is 1.8 seconds. We've matched that. That's the rhythm phase. Counter schemes you know, are going to be kind of that intermediate passing concept equivalent. Um, counter schemes take a little bit longer for all those blocks to develop and to get behind that second puller, so the running back is going to have to match his footwork and his patience up with that, so he's going to be, need to be a little bit slower in, in hitting that hole and timing it out just right. Um, the quick game version or like traps. That's like quick game, you know, for the passing game. So we want to hit that downhill. We want to get that in like one point six seconds, a little bit faster than those rhythm plays. So we're still in the middle of working out all the intricacies of that. But there is there is a carryover from the past game and the concepts from the pass game and the decision the quarterback has to make with the running back in the run game. And that's just, it's been, it's been really cool to see those relationships kind of come out on the screen and, and on paper. And we're just, we're excited to continue to advance it and get it out to guys.
1: No, very cool. I love that idea. It's something years ago, we were kind of looking at that idea, um, especially with uh, our outside zone play. And we had some, some younger backs who didn't quite understand the, the timing of that and, you know, getting to the mesh point and when did that have to occur and, we were looking at footwork and timing for those guys to get them married up the right way. So I, I love this whole idea just of how this all calibrates because I think ultimately Dub, what what you're getting at here is you're putting your guys in the right schemes. You're not trying to necessarily match a a, a round peg into a square hole. It's what fits best for these particular guys. And you know, you and I talked about this on. I think it was with adapt or die Um, uh, or or could it, what was the book after that? What is open, what is open. Maybe it was what, with what is open that this really goes into how your culture is built, right? Like if you're doing the right things for your guys and you understand what they can do uh, it, it enhances your, your culture culture in in incredible ways, rather than those guys who are going to be frustrated and those coaches are going to be frustrated because Ultimately, you can't get the things done that you want done,
0: yeah, I think you know for so many years as a coach, I had it backwards, and you know I thought you know it's my my scheme is what you know drives our ability to be an effective offense, and you know the better I am at x those the better we're going to be and you know you get into some environments, and I think that's the beauty of coaching in the high school is is our world changes every year and, and the 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 colors of paint and the the canvas and the size of canvas, the constraints of that space time and talent is going to change every year. So there might be years where you have to paint a Picasso and you only have three colors in your in the size of your campus canvas, and canvases you know you might have a you know four by six you know piece of canvas there. you don't have a lot of you know stuff to draw on. Uh, other other times you might have a, a wide range of colors and you know you have a huge mural to to drop on. But um, I think that you have to have the ability to measure your personnel. And what you're measuring is is their ability to create space, um, their ability to work and create space in a, in a certain amount of time. You know that's that's the speed the speed tool and the you know ability to create space is you know the force tool. You know how much force do they, you know have within them physically to create that, to sustain those blocks, to, you know, attack the field. And then, you know, and then, then your talent level, of your, not only your players, but your coaches. And so um, I think that I made a lot of mistakes earlier in my career, trying to fit my scheme um, to just a static whiteboard world instead of uh, allowing my players you know to determine my scheme and with the absence of understanding how the the scheme fits in the relationships of schemes and how they operate within space time and talent with with the absence of that it's very hard to do and so that was why we created our four we did, we needed a way to to map that out to make it easy to understand and once you understand the relationships and the requirements of scheme it's a lot easier to determine okay we can run this year or we can't I mean and this happened always I me mean, last year I mean last year was the first year and we really struggled in the passing game. I was in a two-way school, and and I just, you know, I was really uh, frustrated. We were starting up, you know, three three freshmen in the offensive line. We had five sophomores that we were starting. So we're, I knew we were going to be young, but I was really struggling in the passing game. And it was about week three, I get my quarterback out, and I put him on the goal line. And, and I just said, hey, I want you to throw it to me on a straight line. Um, and I backed up to the 20-yard line and see how, you know, he could, I want you to hit me five times in a row on a line. So he did that. Backed up to the 25, hit me five times in a row at 25 yards on a line. They backed up to the 20, uh, to the 30, and the ball started going in, into the turf. He, could, he couldn't throw it on a line at 30 yards. 29 is where he topped out. And so I, I, I'm I'm scratching my head, and I'm looking on paper, and I, I get out my old Pythagorean theorem. I put I us put on the left hash, and I took a tape measure out, and I started tape measuring, you know, all the routes on the field that we're trying to hit. So, like, for example, a – a corner to the so say we're on the left hash, okay? I got an H receiver in the slot on that on the field hash running a, a six step corner route. We call a rhythm corner. Well, that route breaks that that splashdown on that route is at 35 yards. If you take the hypotenuse of that triangle, you know, and I'm sitting here thinking, well, you know, that's a tw- that, the route breaks at 22 yards from the sideline. So you know, you're thinking well, that's a 22 yard route. Well, really, it's a 35 yard breaker route when you when you do the old a squared plus b squared equals c squared. And so my quarterback couldn't make the throw. He couldn't make it at all. And and you know, I'm thinking, why am I running, you know, smash concepts from the pocket with normal splits when my quarterback can't even throw up twenty nine yards on a straight line in front of me. And then I started mapping out other routes and I'm finding, man, I, I'm an idiot. You know, I am we running intermediate concepts that my my guy he can't he can't throw. So we, we had to make a drastic change about mid season and start to create you know, different types of pocket movements and different concepts and reduce our splits and do some creative things to put him in an environment where he could actually execute. And that's on me. I mean, that's just, that was just sheer foolishness on me for, for thinking that I'm living in the world that I'm used to living in. And so, and this kid was a sophomore and he just, he just didn't have the physical tools at 15 years old to make these throws. So I think that's, you know, we, so we, what we've done now is we've created a test for our quarterbacks. We've got a throwing test. We've got all the, route, the routes that we need to throw to, to, in a perfect world that I would want to be able to make. And that's the day one, the first, first day at, at Union, I got my quarterback out and we went out on the field and I marked all those throws off and I wanted to test and see which routes he could hit. And now what it does, it allows me to now go back and create a strategy in a, in a, a training protocol to see if I can get my quarterback, if he can't make a certain throw, okay, can I get them there in two to three months? And if I can't, then we're going to have to take these concepts out. Okay. So it just gets me ahead of the game faster. So I'm never stuck in that week three scenario again and figuring out
1: mid season. Well, I love it coach. Um, I'll tell you what, there's, there's going to be a million questions I have about this and ideas and things I want to pick your brain about. Um, you know, maybe we can, uh, get, get back together, especially the, the run game side of this is, uh, Is huge. But I I love this idea that you share with us today space, time, and talent. I love everything you've been doing with the R4 system. Uh, For our coaches out there, uh, let's share your your Twitter and then um, you have some great resources. I want to make sure they know where to find those.
0: Yeah, you can uh, hit me up on Twitter at at Coach Uh, We have a website, R4FootballSystem.com. We have three books out headsets, a helmet, adapter die, and what is open uh, that are available to purchase on Amazon or you can get them off our website. And then we have an online subscription system. If you want to become an R4 member, we have 80-plus teaching modules that cover everything that a lot of the stuff that I just covered and more with run game, pass game, game planning, play calling. So if you want the deep dive in the the course there, you can get online. And we're doing actually a promo right now. Um, uh, We have a spring break discount. It's uh, Spring Break 30. And you can uh, get online, enter in that code SPRINGBREAK30, and that will give you a 30% discount off the membership. And we're doing that uh, for coaches that have a lot of downtime uh, during this break if you want to take a deep dive and learn some ball.
1: Awesome. Well, Dub, as, as always, again, thank you for your time. And uh, we'll definitely get back together and talk some more ball before the season starts. All right. Thanks, you. Thanks again for listening to the Coaching Coordinator podcast. Please check out our new website, coachandcoordinator.com, and follow me on Twitter at Coach K. Grabowski.